0: So this week, I was actually ran, ran across a, an article where a guy who wrote a book called Master Planning. In this book, actually, he had a conversation with somebody who trained animals for Hollywood movies. And he was on a Hollywood set that actually had elephants on it. And he noticed that there were these giant 10-ton elephants. And then there were these baby elephants. And they would stake these elephants down to the ground, you know, so they couldn't get away. And he noticed that the little baby elephants had a stake in the ground that looked like it could keep, you know, a baby elephant in its place. But then he used that, or they used that same size stake to stake down these enormous 10-ton elephants that were on this movie set. So we asked the trainer... How is it that you can stake down a 10-ton elephant with the same little stake that you use to restrain these little baby elephants? And the trainer explained to him that it, it's super easy because when they're babies, we, he said, we stake them down. They try to tug away from the stake time after time after time. And then eventually they realize that they're not gonna be able to get away. And at that point, he said, the elephant memory takes over. And for the remainder of that elephant's life, no matter how big they get, no matter how strong they get, no matter how powerful that they are, they live their lives with no hope. Convinced that they're never going to be able to get away from that little stake in the ground. And so as we talk about our hopes and our dreams in this series and how to fulfill our hopes, we have to understand that there are some things that can actually anchor you down and rob you of your hopes. We've got to understand that our hope is determined by how we view not only the world around us, but also how we view ourselves. And that is why we are in this series that called Hope Lives. And so the first week in part one, we discovered that even though we all have hopes and dreams, every single one of us have had something to rob us of our hope in a particular situation. But here's what we discovered is that God does his best, hope, his best work in hopeless situations. And then last week, we talked about God, how God showed Abraham how to keep hope alive in his life. And we find out that hope starts with your imagination. God had Abraham visualize a dream that was in his heart, the promises of God. And so I challenge you last week to make a decision, you know, what are your stars? And put those in front of you that hope starts with your imagination. So if you miss one of those uh, messages, I encourage you to go back to YouTube or a website or even the Church Center app, and you can check those out there. I hope that those will help you. So today, we're going to actually tackle another aspect of living a life of hope, and we're going to go a little bit deep today, okay? So I want to make sure that you lean in, put on your thinking caps, and, hope, and I believe that what we learned today is going to be life-changing. So is it, is it okay if we go to the next level today? All right, good, because I was going to anyway. So last week, we talked about Abraham dreaming, being the father of many nations. So fast forward from there, about a thousand years, and Abraham is the father of a, na- of a nation called Israel. So Abraham's deci- descendants had become a nation called Israel. And the Israelites, because of a famine, they leave where they were, where they were living in Canaan. and. This is the place, this is the land that Abraham had left them. And they, then they leave that land because of a famine. They end up in Egypt. And in Egypt, they grow to a huge amount of people. And this makes the Egyptians nervous because in the backyard are all these Israelites. And they are numerous enough to actually overtake Egypt. And so Egypt enslaves them, makes them work as slaves for 430 years, generations until Moses rises up and he actually leads them out of Egypt to take them back to the original land that Abraham gave them, Canaan. You might have heard of it. It's called the promised land a lot of times. And so God, uh, this is the same land that God gave to Abraham. And it was the inheritance of all of these Israelites. Well, the problem was that when they got, by the time they got out of slavery and they actually got to Canaan, other people were squatting on their land. They were inhabiting this land that their forefather, Abraham, had actually left to them. So when they arrive at the border, they are, listen, they are two and a half million strong with an army of 600,000 troops. And so Moses sends 12 spies into, into this land, Canaan, to check it out. And after 40 days, these spies, they return and it was everything that the stories that were passed down from generation to generation would have said it was. And this is where we pick up the story in Numbers chapter 13. It says that those spies, they come to back to Moses with this account. And they said, we went into the land to which you sent us, and it does. It flows with milk and honey, and here is its fruit. And so the stories that had been told for generations was that this was a land that was prosperous. It flowed with milk, so there were tons of livestock. It was a beautiful land, and the honey. And and earlier in Numbers, it says when they they went, they found clumps of grapes that were so big, it took two grown men with a pole to actually carry this clump of grapes. Canaan would have been everything that they could have ever imagined and more. But they said the people who live there are powerful, And the cities are fortified and very large. So they said, it's everything that we imagine it to be. However, there are people there and there are tons of people there. And so this would have caused a murmur throughout the crowd. There's people on their land and lots of them. And so then Caleb, one of the 12 spies, he silenced the people before Moses. And he said, we should go up and still take possession of it. We can certainly do it. We are two and a half million strong, 600,000 troops. God and God's with us and it's our land. But the men who had gone up with them, the other spies, they said, look, we cannot attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. And fear begins to grow in the camp. And then they begin to embellish on how bad it is. They said, the land we explored, the land actually devours people. It's like, really? It was fear-mongering. They said, all the people that are there are of great size. And then they make a statement that I really wanna zone in on today, I wanna focus in on. Because this statement that the spies make next is something that so many of us struggle with today. And when you're struggling with hope, we tend to think of ourselves like this next verse. Watch this. They said, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them as well. And this is the problem that so many of us have today. And that is a grasshopper mentality where we see ourselves as small. You see, the grasshopper mentality, it always begins with this low estimate of ourselves, right? The grasshopper mentality, it is a self-concept. And sometimes we, just like the spies, motivated by fear, we see ourselves as little. And therefore, we think other people see us that way as, as well. Now this obviously is not what, where any of us wanna be. And for some of us, this is our entire life. This is how we see ourselves. But for some of you, it's not your entire life, but there is an area in your life where you feel insignificant, small, like a grasshopper. It could be in one of your relationships. It could be at work, in meetings, just feeling small in the room. Or it could be at school, you know, where everybody else is smarter or everybody else is more popular. Or maybe it's when you step on that field and you feel small compared to everybody else in your abilities. It could be in your family where you feel like you're the, you're the black sheep, you know, the runt of the family. Regardless, there is a place in our lives where maybe we see ourselves not as God sees us, but as grasshoppers. And therefore, we think everybody else sees us that way as well. So how do you know if you have a grasshopper mentality? Well, let's talk about it. First of all, is you have a small view of yourself. You think of yourself as small and insignificant, unimportant. You don't, you know, you don't like who you see in the mirror. You kind of size things up in your life and you just kind of determine that you're never going to get beyond where you are right now. And one of the reasons why we get into this grasshopper mentality is because most people define people define themselves by their problems or their possibilities and look when you begin to define yourself by your problems you are going to have a skewed view of yourself or if you even start defining yourself by your possibilities or your opportunities you're also going to have a skewed view of yourself and you're going to end up being fearful and small and look this is a lot of times how we end up with this grasshopper mentality this inferiority in how we see ourselves And this is super important in how you speak to your children, okay? Parents, tell you a secret. When you speak to your children, you're trying to motivate them, right? And a lot of times you'll say, hey, listen, if you don't study, if you don't bring your grades up, you're not going to amount to anything. You're going to end up a bum. If you still keep hanging out with those people, you're going to end up a bum, not amounting to anything. And let me tell you something. You're trying to help them, but let me tell you, all they hear is you're never going to amount to anything. You're going to be a bum. Well, but Mike, I gave him a qualifier. Okay, I said if you don't do this, all right. But I'm telling you, all they hear when you say that is you will not amount to anything. You're going to be a bum. We think it's motivating, right? But it's not. And now you can give them specifics. If you don't give your grades up, you're not going to get into that school that you wanted to get into. Or if you keep hanging out with those people, we're going to end up in trouble like Johnny. But you got to be really careful and selective about how you speak to your children because you want to build a strong self-image. And for a lot of us, we started out life with confidence. We didn't see ourselves as grasshoppers, as, as young people, but then the storms of life begin to beat us down. We allow failures to really paint the picture of ourselves as grasshoppers, small, insignificant. You remember God brought Abraham out of his tent to look at his stars so that he could see a different picture of himself so that he could look at the promises of God and who he was going to be. And so many times, here's what we do though. Instead of looking at our stars, we look at our scars. We look back at all the negative things that have happened to us, all the negative things that have been said over us, all the failures that we've had and we develop a grasshopper mentality. And, and look, it may be your whole life you see yourself as a grasshopper. Or once again, it may be in just an area of your life that you struggle to see yourself as the person that God made you to be. And, and instead, you see yourself as that grasshopper. But look, we cannot stay there. Look, none of us want to see ourselves that way. None of us want to be there. And so the question becomes, how do we shed the grasshopper mentality How do we shed that perception that we can't do it, that we are too small, that the world around us is gonna devour us? Well, the good news is that God never actually created us to view ourselves as small. And the even better news is that he actually lays out how to escape it, that small-mindedness. And he does it through a man who we know as the Apostle Paul. Now, Paul writes a letter about 57 AD. It was a letter to the church in Rome. And this, this letter has been called the Christian Manifesto, the Constitution of Christianity. And it's significant because it's written to the church in Rome and the church in Rome were mostly Gentiles. Now, for the Jews, there were two people. There were two main categories. There would be Jews who would, they're chosen people of God. And then there were the Gentiles, which were everybody else. And for many, many Jews, they would spiritually look down on anybody that wasn't their race. And so Paul spends the first couple chapters of the letter targeting these Jewish people that portrayed themselves as these spiritual giants over these little pathetic Gentiles. They felt like they were morally superior to these immoral pagan Gentiles living in the world. And so these Christian Gentiles are beginning to see themselves as inferior because of this. They're beginning to see themselves as less than, as small in their own minds and to themselves. It was the grasshopper mentality all over again. And their hope was slowly slipping away. And then even worse, they began wondering, does God actually see me this way? Does God see me this way as well? And so in one of the greatest paragraphs in a book that is arguably the most complete explanation of the Christian faith, Paul explains extremely clearly what causes this small mentality that robs us of our hope as well as how to overcome it. So in Romans 3. Verse 20, he starts out by saying, therefore, which means that this is associated to the first part of the letter we talked about where he's targeting all these Jewish people that are trying to make Gentiles feel small. And so he says, even though they do all that, listen, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Now, let let me break this down a little bit, okay? This word righteous That is simply a Bible word that it just means being morally right, or in other words, being good enough to God, that you measure up in God's eyes, that you have a right standing with God, that you are good enough for God. And what he's saying is nobody is good enough in God's sight by the works of the law. Now, this works of the law, it refers to you simply obeying the rules, doing all the right stuff, not doing all the wrong stuff. Right? You go to church, check. You read your Bible, check. You spend time in worship, check. You're tithing. You're volunteering. You know, you're not lying. You know, you're, you're not envying. You're not lusting. You're not mistreating your spouse or your kids or your parents. You're, you're not repaying evil for evil. You're not doing all the wrong stuff. This is super counterintuitive because what most of us do is we, find we define how we see ourselves either by our problems and our failures, all the wrong stuff we do, or by our possibilities, our successes, the right things that we do. This is how we define ourselves. And what Paul is saying is you're seeing yourself wrong. Because if you're seeing yourself as small because of your problems or your failures or you're seeing yourself that you do measure up and you're better than or you measure up to God because of your successes and your wins, then there's a problem. Because he says nobody is going to be declared that they measure up in God's sight by following the rules. But this is how we see ourselves, isn't it? and that's how we get into the grasshopper mentality because we see ourselves based upon our performance. Do we fail or do we win? We look in the mirror and we're happy with who we are based upon historical or, or even present success and failures in our life, morally, physically, how do I look, in our life financially, what's the, what's the checkbook look like? scholastically or grades, all these different things. And what Paul is saying is nobody can see themselves as good enough or measuring up, righteous as he calls it, because they followed the rules, because they succeeded. So somebody who's super successful, a lot of times they think they measure up because they're successful. And what he's saying is, not, uh-uh, there's nobody that is found measuring up in God's sight because of any of their actions, which is actually great news to all of us who feel like mess-ups. And, and, you know, and, and our, the, we're kind of disappointed in our accomplishments. But he's saying this, that no one will be ca- declared righteous or measure up in God's sight by our performance, by the, perf- the works of the law. And then he just makes it worse. And then he says, rather, through the law, through all those things that are expected of you, Through having all those things, we actually become conscious of how bad we are. We become conscious of how much we don't measure up, how much we fail. And then he goes on and he gives us the answer. So he's laid the foundation. He's saying, you're not going to be good enough in God's sight because you did the right stuff, because you followed the rules, right? In fact, the rules actually just make you aware of how flawed you are, robbing you of your hope. And bringing that small-mindedness to your self-image. Then he says, but apart from the law, doing all the right stuff, the righteousness of God has been made known. So regardless of measuring up, regardless if you did everything right, if you did everything wrong, there's a new law is what he says, the law of righteousness of God that has been made known to us. And then he explains how we can rid ourselves of this grasshopper mentality and secure a confidence and a hope. So how, what is this law of righteousness? He says, this righteousness, this right standing with God, this measuring up to God's expectations is given through faith in Jesus Christ to everybody that believes. So Micah, you're telling me that I measure up this righteousness that you call it, I measure up in, in life, in God's expectations. I'm no longer small. I can measure up in life just by believing in Jesus. That's all. It makes no sense whatsoever to your logical mind. And yet that is the core of the Christian faith. And let me explain it. Believing in Jesus is enough to get you a relationship with God and get you to heaven. But listen, there is another step in this righteousness, and here's what I want you to go home with today, okay? And that's this, that you've gotta change what you believe about yourself to what God believes about you, okay? Let me say it again. You've gotta change what you believe, how you see yourself. You've gotta change what you believe about yourself when you look in the mirror, When you do the right thing, when you do the wrong thing, you gotta change what you believe about yourself to the very things that God believes about you and how God sees you, to what God says about you in his word. And this is actually part of the vision here at Living Word. We boiled our vision down to three different words. Belong, because we want everybody to belong. We want everybody to know that this is a place that they belong. The last part of our vision is to become, because what we want to do is help give people the tools to help them become everything that God intended for them to be. But if you're missing that middle thing, which is belief, you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle with hope. See, you've got to believe about yourself what God believes about you. See, this is why we gather on a regular basis. This is why you're here this morning. This is why we go to meetups. This is why we do the one-year Bible. And we don't do all those things so that you can check it off and measure up in God's sight. Those works, quote unquote, are not so that you can be righteous. All of that is simply that we give you the tools to change how you see yourself, what you believe about yourself to what God believes about you and how God sees you. You see, what you can see, you can be. And you've got to see yourself as how God sees you. Because whatever you see in your mind, your life is going to go in that direction. And your strongest thought will actually lead and guide your life. And if you see yourself wrong, then it is gonna get you off course and you're gonna lose hope. You're gonna end up with this grasshopper mentality. Man, this is so important, how you see yourself. In fact, I like to look at how he sees you. Look at this, Romans eight thirty seven. He says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. And once again, not because of any of your actions or what you've done, you're not allowed to view yourself through your own actions anymore, but you are more than a conqueror through him. Why? Because he loved you. He paid for your actions on a cross. In other words, God sees you as more than conquerors. John 16 says, yes, in this world, you're gonna have trouble. You're going to make all kinds of mistakes. People are going to make mistakes that affect you. You're going to have trouble, but take heart. Why? Because I, Jesus, have overcome the world. This is John writing about what Jesus said, and then later, John wrote another letter or another book, and he says this, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is what God thinks about you. This should give you hope that God sees you as not only a conqueror, but as an overcomer. Stuff's going to come against you, but he sees you as somebody who through him can overcome any of that. Not because of who you are in and of yourself, but because who you are, because you are his child and he has placed this inside of you. The question is, do you see yourself that way? Do we believe about ourselves what God believes about us? Look at Matthew 19. Jesus, in this, right before this, Jesus got, just got through saying, hey, if anybody's rich, it's gonna be hard for them to get into heaven. <laughs> and it was like, what? But here's the thing, is what Jesus knew is that when you're successful in any area, physically, uh, re- financially, relationally, when you're a success more than anybody else that's around you, what we tend to do is think that that is what makes us good enough. That's our self-view, and that's a slippery view or a slippery slope, and that's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, look, when you're successful, it's difficult to hang on to the idea that that success does not determine your value. It does not determine what you believe about yourself. And look, don't don't get me wrong, we wanna be proud of our accomplishments, and you should be proud of your accomplishments, but you should never base your value and how you see yourself based upon your accomplishments. If you do, it might seem like a good thing at the time, but the moment that your accomplishments don't measure up to what you or the people around you think that they should, guess what? You then begin to change the way you see yourself. And the moment that you don't perform is the moment that you're not seeing yourself like God sees you any longer. You're seeing yourself based upon your performance. According to your own works, your own ability to measure up according to the law. But what God thinks about you and believes about you should determine what you believe about yourself. So Jesus has said this. He said, Rich people, it's gonna be hard for them to get to heaven. And the disciples are like, they were astonished, it says. And they were like, Well, who could get into heaven? And Jesus said, Hey, don't worry, you can still get there. With man, it is impossible, but with God, all things, all things are possible. So you are unstoppable. You are unstoppable. That's how he sees you. Second Corinthians says, if anybody is in Christ, there it is again. If you are a follower of Christ, a Christian, your sins have been paid for. And then after that, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. It's, it's, it's not backwards. It's not that you shed the old and you measure up, like you do all the right stuff and measure up. No, it's the other way. When you're in Christ, and you believe what he believes about you, then you become a new creation. Philippians 14 says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength, that God sees you as strong. So the bad news is that our limitations are usually self-imposed. But the good news is that our limitations are usually self-imposed. Because that means that if we can change what we believe about ourselves to what God believes about us, at that point we can remove the limitations, we can renew and restore hope, strengthen hope. You could take hope to a whole nother level. And it's like that 10 ton elephant that they stake down with that little stake. He can simply give it a little tug and remove all the limitations and restore his hope of freedom. If he can do that, so can you. You just got to begin to see yourself like God sees you, not according to your performance, good or bad. So here's my challenge to you. Begin to, ex- to, ch- to exercise your imagination. It's the same imagination we talked about last week, that same imagination that Abraham used. And my challenge is for you to use your imagination this week to see yourself, how God made you to be how god actually sees you and believe about yourself what god says he believes about you in his word imagine yourself that you are a new creation a conqueror an overcomer unstoppable strong and he, and here's the even better news is that when you begin to see yourself differently you begin to behave differently your actions will change based upon how you see yourself. You see, it's from the inside out. And when you begin to focus on how you see yourself, your behavior will change. So what would it be like if you see yourself as the father you should be, you could be, the husband you could be, you should be? What if you saw yourself as the mother and the wife that you should be and you could be? You see yourself as the success at work, At school, you see yourself as healed from emotional trauma. You see yourself as healed from that addiction. You see yourself as healed of that diagnosis. You see, when you begin to change the way you see yourself to how God sees you, it changes everything about what you do and your actions it's from the inside out. It changes how you treat yourself. It changes how you treat others. All those things that were spoken over you as a child or in your past is that little stick in the ground. It has no power. Even your own self-imposed failures of your, pa- of your past, no power. But the moment that you realize that you can pull that stake out of the ground that you can shed your grasshopper mentality and you can believe about you what God believes about you and knows about you and you can see yourself as God sees you it's game changer and look if we as individuals can see ourselves like God sees us it actually gives us the freedom to reach out into a hurting and dying world and be other centered because we're no longer insecure we're no longer so self-consumed and so we can reach out and actually be his hands and his feet to our world and our community. And this is how to find hope in a hopeless world. Your hope is determined by how you view your, the world but also how you view yourself. And when we take that and we anchor it into what God's word says about us, then my prayer is that you become powerful, strong. I hope you've enjoyed this series. I hope it's built you up in your faith and you can be everything that God has has called you to be. Would you stand with me?